Patriot power. You're in the dog zone for an hour. Come on. You know the number. Welcome to the Dog Zone 9000, the official podcast of the 1900 Hot Dog Comedy Hilarity website. I'm TV Sean Baby from the internet, and with me is my comedy partner, Robert Brockway. Welcome again. I'm Robert Brockway, and here's a Brockway fact. The Heinz ketchup heiress once personally caught me peddling counterfeit ketchup. No follow-up questions. <laughs> I can't even ask you if it's a real fact. No follow-up questions. Of course it's a real fact. I'm just going to... I'm going to have to take it in. That's an amazing real fact. Uh, Speaking of amazing, we're joined by our old friend from Cracked and current staff writer at American Dad, the Hitfox show, Soren Bowie! Hey, everybody. I'm Soren Bowie (laughs) from the Hitfox show, American Dad, or as my mom calls it, Modern Dad. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> no idea what I actually do for a living. I, I watched my first episode with them like three years ago, and that was a mistake to watch it with your parents when it came out. Yeah, because um, they didn't, you know, they didn't like a lot of the jokes, and then some of the jokes <laughs> just went right by them. And uh, then at the end, they were like, yeah. "Well, I'm really proud of you." <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. That was my first question: was when did they pause for a long time and then say, "Well, yeah. I'm proud of you." Yeah, it was after it was like, there was quiet. Well, we listened to like a dentine commercial, and then they were like, "Okay, well, I'm really proud of you. That's great. You must be really proud." Now, did you write the commercial, the gum commercial we saw? Because that, that that was good. I really I really felt for that child <laughs> and how they wanted gum. We watched it with some family friends too, which were the same age as my parents. So and this was not... the first one that was like uh, your first script that was turned yeah. in. Yeah, my oh, first nice. written by credit and. Uh, gotcha. And watched it with family, friends, and my mom. They don't have any context either because they don't watch the show. And they watched it, and then they were, and then my mom started um, like trying to explain on my behalf. She was like, "Now a lot of the stuff they changed, right?" <laughs> I'm like, no. somebody, somebody came in and stomped on your jokes, right? That's why they yeah. suck. No, this no, is this is all me. Stuff. This is what you did. <laughs> this is what you've accomplished. So, yeah. what is the writing process like there? So. so each writer's scripts get pretty intact uh, through the process. It depends. Yeah. So early on, no. Uh, early on, you you get a lot of changes made because you're no good at it yet. You don't know like the right. how the show runs or operates yet, and there's a lot to learn. And uh, you basically have a room with four or five writers, and there are three of those rooms generally going at any given time, and they'll break a story, and that breaking could take like two or three weeks. Sometimes it takes even longer. Um, but you come in with a bunch of different pitches. You're like, these are the stories I'd like to do. And they're like, they'll be like, yeah, yeah. And like, people, you'll tell when a story is like really clicking because everybody's kind of like joking around with it and playing with it. Right. And then other ones that just don't, like that just fall on the floor. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, you break the story, you break all three acts. You know exactly what the scenes are going to be. You know, you don't necessarily have the jokes for them all built out or like the how the scene will get from A to B, but you know kind of generally what's happening in each scene. 
and then you no. pitch it to the showrunners, and then you go off and you write it for two weeks. Well, you write an outline, and then you write the story for two weeks, and then you come back in with a writer's draft. And then mm-hmm. after that, you do a table read. Then you do a rewrite. Then there's a, a screening of like a very very rudimentary animatic, rudimentarily, it's not a word, uh, a, a crudely <laughs> drawn version of it. And you do another rewrite after that. And then you finally get the, the color screening, which is like everything looks pretty much in play with, with the exception of some music. And hmm. uh, you do a rewrite after that and then it's done. Well, that well, sounds like a tight ship that they run. It is. Right now I, it's a the, well-oiled uh, machine. The first uh, show I was staffed on, the process was uh, people would come in with pitches. We would get these pitches and uh, most of them would fall very flat. And some of them were like, really inspiring Uh, my biggest problem with pitching is i had these ideas like what if a guy came from space and his name was kitar and he played the kitar and this gave him magical powers and then he kind of just fucks around and does silly stuff and i I have some of these ideas that i don't need to bring them up in the pitch and then some other stuff happens and it just kind of ends with some weird absurdity and like you i think that would have been good right like in my head it's funny and uh but they're like Dude, this completely sucks. But that would be, that would have been the one I'd be most passionate about. And then they're basically like, "Oh, that murder mystery party thing. Let do do that one." I'm like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, the and one then, where uh, you're like, you were out of pitches, and you're like, right. "Oh, I got another one," yeah. and you're just like scraping well, around yes. the bottom of your skull right. for it, and you're like, yes. <laughs> "What if yeah, that, that's what one, one of our characters <laughs> didn't have an idea for a pitch?" <laughs> right. How about this, Cyrano de Bergerac? Wait, wait, wait. A Christmas story. How about <laughs> one of those? How uh-huh. about both? Now you're a genius. <laughs> uh, so uh, have you heard those pitches yet? I, I, I found that um, if you let any writer pitch, every 10 pitches is either the characters from the show as Cyrano de Bergerac or, or a Christmas story spoof. Yeah, I think people get... The writers of the show am I, do... Am it. I insulting? Is there an American Dad Christmas story spoof? They get tired of the show after a while and they're like... They'll pitch on things like, well, what if like... What if like now we're we're... Stan is is he knows he's the American dad and like now Fox is canceling the show and like that kind of stuff where you're like it's getting awfully meta and inside right. baseball here <laughs> getting, getting Kaufman esque <laughs> are we really Kaufman <laughs> let's decide that right now I actually uh, one of my favorite things in the writing process was punching up jokes and uh, it sounds like you don't hack into each other's scripts quite as much on some of the shows I've been on but like because that that was always my favorite part where. Uh, Someone would come in and, you know, you know, add like five, six jokes or options for jokes on each page. And like, those are the times when I laughed the most during the writer's room. And that seemed the, the place where we got the most work done. But it also, it turns like, maybe like as nuclear toxic as any environment that's ever been. Like, when you get like four or more writers in a room, it's just like, okay, what about a Holocaust joke? What about a super racist thing? You, we won't use this, but like the worst thing you've ever heard right here. And like... uh yeah, basically that that what it, that's what it escalates to. But right before then, there's this sweet spot where where everyone's firing and it's really fun. There is that. So we during all the rewrites, every single rewrite, you also have a joke room, which is like if there's mm-hmm. just like a a scene blow, like the end of a scene that's not funny enough, the the showrunner feels like, then they'd be like, well, we'll send it to the joke room. And so mm-hmm. the joke room is just like touching up any jokes that just aren't quite landing. Um, and that is basically the. It is a lot of fun to be in that room because everybody's just like. The well, joke there's hole. Of, there's a lot of silence where everybody's just thinking, and then there's like, right. yeah, people are throwing out jokes. And what if you know, something's super racist? <laughs> it does get to a point where it's just like there's some punishment jokes as well, where they're like, we're gonna yeah. go read this to the story room at some point, and they're gonna hear yeah. all of these, 
And some of these are definitely not getting in the show, but I've written a four page <laughs> joke here that you're going to have to sit through. <laughs> yeah. What are you working on these days, Soren? Anything uh, besides American Dad you'd like to mention? I've got a podcast with Daniel O'Brien, who we also used to work with mm-hmm. together. And that Good podcast friend. is called um, Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. And you can find it anywhere you can listen to a podcast. And then mm-hmm. uh, I've got a new episode of the show coming out probably in, I think, July. And it's got Scottie Pippen in it. Oh, the real I love Scottie, Scottie Pippen. Pippen. Wait, the real one? The real Scottie Pippen is in the episode. And he is a... If I listen to this and it's just you doing a really problematic impression, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. It's the real Scottie Pippen. And he's so good in it. And he is a, he's a, a novelist. He's a, a um, political crime novelist. Um, about uh-huh. He writes mostly about Navy thrillers in the, in the uh, episode. So, you know. Look for that, I guess. Well, that's that's the best answer we've had yet. <laughs> There's a line from uh, Scotty Pippen Slam City, which is a video game starring Scotty Pippen, where you finally get to the end, and uh, it, it pans past like this 90s scene of people like playing with yo-yos and pogs or whatever the fuck they're doing, right? It's very 90s. And it gets to Scotty Pippen, and he says, Congratulations, I'm Scotty Pippen. You've really got what it takes. Welcome to Slam City. And I love it so much. <laughs> I could I could just feel you knowing the cadence of that like by heart. I don't even think I got that right. I just it's it's Scotty's like, okay, look, you got me for fucking eight minutes. You get one take. And it was like one of those scenes where so many extras and so many stunt people were doing all this stuff for this long one shot. And uh and it ends with Scotty Pippen just flubbing the shit out of the worst written line. <laughs> incredible yeah uh he's 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 got just like a kind of a slow cadence to begin with so like yeah. you're when you're when we were like doing the um the voiceover with him you're just like is he still there oh no there he goes he's going he's doing his lines. okay <laughs> just very like he takes his time and it's so yeah. funny in the final episode welcome to slam city i did a scotty pippen article here on 1900 hot dog where uh hey. You like, uh, you went inside this. Yeah, try this to explain that. Yeah, you know what? I forget. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Scotty Pippen of the uh, uh, many dimensions. So it was, it was basically this being made up of unlimited numbers of Scotty Pippen. Um, anyway. <laughs> I'm so yeah, happy you I, tried to explain it. I literally it. tried to explain it. I'm a fucking I'm so idiot. Happy you did it. <laughs> Just dissecting the piano, piano to find it the was, song. It was the novelization of Shaq Fu, if anyone wants to look up that article. And okay. This helps. This all helps. Yes. The, the video game based on Shaquille O'Neal. I wrote the novelization of it. In it, fuck it. You get it. You get it. I've explained yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, I'm working on one called How to Seduce Your Lover Forever. And um, it was supposed to be sort of a quick one. I was like, okay, th- I, I get what this is going to be. Uh, it's like a video showing people how to have sex by people very motivated to sell like scented lotions. Yeah. So it turns out it, it's it's just short of porno. It's only not pornography because it's gross. Like they're like <laughs> they're gr- <laughs> they're gross people who are awkward on camera, and and so it's maybe if that's your fetish, but like like it, how real sex on HBO got away with it for so long. Yes. Like it's just so not sexy that you can show everything. So it's shot very much like a porno. There's a lot of like close-ups and full penetration that's like in the context of the show, like unappealing. Uh, so there's also a lot of like, here's how you make love. First, you tenderly look into your lover's eyes. And it sort of talks clinically nope. like that. 
And then, yeah. <laughs> it's already already specific, It's already for a very specific type of lovemaker, but then it it's it always goes back to like rubbing some sort of scented lotion or uh, scent is the most powerful <laughs> and erotic of the senses. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? And then it, of course at the end it's like, come to our website and buy our special lotions. And they're like, oh, there it is, uh, there it is. Yeah. Do they use oh, the word sniff uh, at I, all? It's also. <laughs> they, How many times does they musk must. appear? It's uh, at least once. The, the thing about it is someone worked very hard on the scripts to never sort of say the same word twice, which sort of creates this oh, combination of, I love of like, yeah, of lewdness and like doctor sounding words. So it'll be like, suck on the penis and scrotum until he comes. And you're like, whoa, that's a, it took a turn there. <laughs> so, because I don't know. I love it. I love it. He and medically it's, it's, comes. It became exciting. more complicated than I wanted because there's just so much to talk about. And, and like, they'll do something in a video. I'm like, oh, this is going to take 800 words to explain why this is weird. And uh, so anyway, I gave myself a lot of work, but that's nothing compared to what Brockway is doing this week, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I uh, wrote an erotic thriller with Shaq. <gasps> I, I, I can't deliver on that in any way. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll read it. I, no, no, I thought none of I these going... condoms fit, says Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Him hiding in a closet, but like really crammed <laughs> like a, a human in a refrigerator. Just like he barely fit. Like a cartoon He would have gorilla. to be thinly veiled. He'd have to be like Shaquille O'Grayson or something. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> Just hide that effectively. <laughs> like like Shaq in a closet. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm working on... What I thought was the same deal. I thought it was going to be a nice light week for me. And there's a the Brazilian Mega Man comic. And I thought, like, I know these things. I know the, like, early 90s, mid-90s comic book adaptations. They're, like, they're like 12 pages long. And there's, like, four <laughs> words a page. And they're, they're mostly just, like, here's this power-up that you see in the game. Isn't that cool, kids? And, uh, and so I went into this one expecting, you know, a nice short week. And it... I've never been so wrong in my life. I, I'm just, I'm still stunned by how wrong I was. And that I, I don't even know where to start. Like it starts off sort of normal. And then it, it kind of hints a little bit at what's going to happen. There's like a really brief part where Mega Man's like, they're describing like the apocalypse that happened. And Mega Man like slams his fist into the floor and is going like, this always happens with the goddamn government. Like wait wait what? <laughs> but then they like like glance over that and it's fine. And then he's like kind of eyeballing uh, his sister because Mega Man in the games has a sister named Roll. But nothing ever comes of it. So you're like maybe they're just trying to do a little fan service. And then the the first issue ends with, you know somewhat standardly. And then the very second issue, it just delivers on everything of that. Like and all of a sudden she's just like within three pages, his sister is stripping fully naked. Uh, Mega Man Whoa. is jizzing in his pants watching her. He's we're pausing the entire yes. issue to like break the fourth wall with a self-insert character that is just runs out and like starts condemning not only the government of Brazil and but Capcom specifically. Like this is their <laughs> officially licensed adaptation, and he calls out like Capcom specifically is like this piece of shit company thinks that they like in the in the in the comic they commissioned, and then it. It go, starts going on rants about socialism. At one point, they fight the mayor of Sao Paulo, but he's a robot. Like, I just, I'm so blown You can't away. prove he's not. You can't prove I, that's not based on real facts. 
Okay, I can prove he's not a 12-foot-tall robot that fires electoral missiles. Holy that's shit. A, that's a real thing. Electoral, electoral missiles? Electoral missile. There's so much wrong with it that it, like you, I'm trying to pick any part of it, and there's like, how can I do this? Because there's a thousand words I'm not saying about, <laughs> about everything in this. It's just nonstop like robot incest and rants about socialism and specifically Sao Paulo. Like it starts on, on like post-apocalyptic Earth, and then in issue three, uh, it starts with, "Okay, never mind all of that. I don't really have a reason." Like that's almost a direct quote. He says, "Like there's no motive for them to be going here, but never mind everything we set up. This is just modern day Sao Paulo." Yeah. So this okay. author got a job writing Mega Man comics, and. Decided, hey, if I have a platform, I've got to make a difference. I'm going and to abuse it as hard yes. as I can before they fire me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to make sure that they fire me. And they did not. <laughs> he got a five issue he got a five issue run, despite like oh. issue two stopping in the middle to be like, fuck you for hiring me for this comic book. It's, and it never stops being crazy. So you had to like They know, kinda they tried cool to stop being crazy after after that five issue run because like they finally he gets out of there. Finally somebody came back from vacation and is like, What the fuck have you been doing? <laughs> Somebody's is... finding finally got a Portuguese to Japanese dictionary and they're like, Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they kind of try to like get it back on track and the rest of it isn't quite as crazy, but like yeah, it starts off with just this madness that specifically calls out individual mayors of Sao Paulo and the comic book industry of Brazil. And so my when God, this was published, they used week. the mayor's real name as the robot no, in the future? No, they used three of the mayors and they combined them okay. all as a portmanteau. Oh, for the name that's of why it's robot. 12 feet tall because of all the mayor parts. You're right. It's three mayors in one. It has to be 12 feet tall because they were all each was four mm -hmm. feet tall. So it only makes sense. If Shaquille O'Neal was mayor, you'd only need like one and a half mayors right. to make a 12-foot robot. It goes by size in Brazil. It's true. Well, that like, sounds incredible. Uh, I just, I had the heaviest week. I, it's incredible, <laughs> but I also completely fucked myself in my whole workload. Yeah. Like I split it in half and each one is still like 80 pages. <laughs> I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> I, I I was just talking about that on the last podcast that I, I did... It was 62 pages vertically in Google Docs, and I was like, this is maybe a bit much for like our daily website readers. Like, hey, <laughs> I took that as a personal challenge. Yeah, the casual like, reader. That. I could top that easy. <laughs> Let's check in on what, what 900 hot dog is doing today. Oh, <laughs> right. good Lord. Okay, I need a good... Well, I'm still scrolling. <laughs> I need a couch to curl up on for the day. <laughs> Our casual readers have got to be like four months behind. Like we've given them way too right. much, I think. And then the, you start introducing the podcast, and just there's a, somebody did actually sign on to complain that we do too much, like a legitimate <laughs> complaint, not a not Fair. a false compliment. They were like, "Look, I'm like two months behind. What the fuck are you guys doing?" Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. They're they're right this to be upset. It's a sickness. You knew this. Mm -hmm. We knew going in. So uh, today. We, I, I like talking about writing with you guys, and I want to bring up very ancient articles that we did on Cracked, where we all worked, of course. And um, here's what we're going to do. This is a very high concept. We're going to read each other's articles. And that's the whole thing. Hmm. And that's the whole thing. And that's the whole thing. And that's the whole thing. High concept, but very easy to explain. <laughs> 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 Agreed. 
uh, I was like laughing at myself because it did take me like fucking what five minutes to explain that. Oh, we're going to read each other's articles, and I'm like, today we're going to dirtily beer brooder. So uh, I think I'm reading Soren's. Is that what we agreed on? Yes. Should we start with that, or who wants to go first? Uh, I can do Brockway's here first because that's a. I think people are already that's if cool. they're Brockway fanatics, yeah, they already know that he had, used to do the drug fueled misadventures. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I didn't uh, want to volunteer you to be first for me, but but there you go. <laughs> this is right. You start with the best. Uh, this is a, <laughs> a drug fueled misadventure, and I think we can all play along together, and we can decide where we go in it. Yeah, I, it. I posted this on the site a little while back, but it was kind of a a half day sort of thing that I'm bad at taking. So I ended up turning it into an actual game and it took me like three days. Uh, here you go. It's a functioning yeah, I never game. Really, Enjoy. Just a, a point of order. You used to write these for the site and I knew how, what it was right. Like writing a column once a week. It was, it was a full on panic sprint where you were crying. Like we would all be like, we were so stressed <laughs> out trying to write our articles every single week and make them good. Cause they had our names on them. And you on top, write, of, on top yeah. of doing everything else. We on all top of your normal job. Beyond full time. I would mm-hmm. work on them on weekend nights until five in the morning and like up until deadline. And then like I'd publish it myself because it was so late. Oh, yeah. So. Yep. Uh, Same. Then you yep. would write these drug field misadventures, which were <laughs> like to conceive of even the structure of it takes about a month. And then. <laughs> Then they have to also be funny, and then they have to be, uh-huh. you have to, it's basically writing five different stories, because you have to have a bunch of different paths for each one, and I never understood it. It was always baffling to me. Well, like, the first one, the very first one I did was kind of a parody, it was, like, the structure of it wasn't actually a choose-your-own-adventure, I just used the little choices as punchlines, but it didn't branch off, and then everybody kept being like, it'd be cooler if this was functional. <laughs> right. And so finally I was like, okay, well, I'll just add 30 hours to my life and make it functional. And yeah, it was, they were, they took by far the most out of almost any column, except for that one uh, man comics I had to do where I had to Photoshop everything that took like 150 hours out of my life. It was just, oh yeah, that was was a fun idea. Yeah, we did. We swapped our IPs for the week, which seemed like just a cute, fun idea. But then it was like, oh, I bet Brockway doesn't have like my Photoshop training, this is going to take him a long time. And I'd like never written one of these before. And so I was like, uh, yeah, was, it was yeah, a I very, did not, very long week. I did not think of that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I was I like, this is a great idea. I didn't come here just to wash your guys' balls, but like Sean Baby also <laughs> would do his own 8-bit art for every single article, which was like, <laughs> right. I didn't understand either. It was like, right, he still does that. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Where do I find the time? Let's Let's read this one. It is a clear, crisp spring day. The air smells of flowers. Bird songs drift by on a gentle breeze. Even the animals blink at the young sun with cautious hope. But as usual, we find you huffing paint with juvenile delinquents in the Family Fun Center arcade. You are trying, and thus far failing, to explain trip-hop to prepubescence. If you choose to enlighten Soccer Scotty about the merits of Portishead, click here. If you want to explain the situa- situational genius of Tricky to Bullcut Billy, click here. What do you think? Do you want to soccer uh, Scotty or bull cup Billy? I, I do like Portishead. I prefer Portishead. All right, let's do it. They sound like, how do you explain this? It's like this beautiful opera singer is drowning. You tell a visibly disturbed young boy in knee-high socks. And you want to save her, but you just took so many Percocet that you can only move in slow motion. Soccer Scotty's eyes well up with tears, but he chokes them back. 
Yeah, you get it, you tell the boy. He absolutely does not. Click here. No choice on this one. No choice. No choice. <laughs> you have to watch this one. young boy cry. <laughs> yeah, you're going to sit I there should and enjoy it. That at the time I wrote this, uh, even then, trip hop was not a relevant reference. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I did a, a whole long bit about it, and it was still like 10 years out of date. Like uh-huh. nobody, I knew full well nobody was going to get this. I think it's a good choice because if you would have done a different genre, that would have, that would be out of date in an uh, uh, an unseemly way. Whereas this is so distant and absurd, it's like making a ska joke. It's like we know it's not coming back. We know that was a blip. I think it's a good choice. <laughs> Suddenly, well, a stunning young woman rounds the corner and collides with you at full tilt. She is immediately followed by two sinister men in powder blue uniforms. Give us the briefcase. The shorter one growls. Never. You respond instantly. I'll die first. I wasn't talking to you, the tall one replies, confused. You don't even have a briefcase. And he's right, of course. The only thing in your hand is a dull gray spray can with some acrylic scrawl and the rough translation, warning, industrial reactor coating. If inhalation occurs, contact Ministry of Extreme Poisons immediately. If you attack the sinister men with the spray paint, not pausing to consider the implications behind your drug of choice, also doubling as a weapon, click here. If you steal the briefcase, because you've never had a briefcase and it looks like fun, then flee. Click here. Uh, briefcase. It has yeah, to be briefcase. I think I got to take the briefcase. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, listen to the author. I'll make this is brief. It... Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, is it weird for me to be making choices in the thing I wrote? Well, I I'd... think you would. You know the best direction for us to go. Uh... Right, and that's why I shouldn't. I should not. I will refrain from choosing. Uh, I mean, you you could lead us down the right path. I don't mind that. I'll make this brief, you quip, snatching the briefcase from the dazed woman and sprinting off into a swirling color inverted version of this world, but with brilliant pink worms instead of people. That black market spray paint might be kicking in. If you hop on a nearby motorcycle to make your escape, click here. If you slip out the window instead, reasoning that a motorcycle will probably not do you much good inside this crowded arcade, click here. No, I mean I, I like the first on the one because it yeah. has less reason. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta get on the motorcycle. I, I know Brockway, and of I know of course you do. He's trying to lure us in with a reasoning as like a hint, like "Hey, don't think too much about this." And if <laughs> you, you don't do, you're at all. Yeah, I will I often punish you for making objectively the right decision. It's That's just... what I'm saying. I know you're trying to trick me. You'll never catch me, fascists! You scream, almost instantly followed by, "I don't know how to drive this bike." <laughs> You careen out of control and dramatically sideswipe. Hey, surprisingly not that much. This was nowhere near as disastrous as it should have been. In fact, the motorcycle doesn't appear to be moving at all. Too late. You realize this is just the bike peripheral for a super hang-on machine. Too late. You remember that you'll still, you're still inside the arcade. Too late. You reach in your pocket to slip a few quarters into the slot, hoping to get a quick game in. Too late. You remember the sinister men in blue <laughs> jumping jumpsuits who were chasing you. You ran about 12 feet before your ill-gotten goods bef- uh, with your ill-gotten goods before pausing to hop on a stationary plastic motorcycle and rummage around for change. It is with tender with a tender sort of pity that they beat you to death. The end. <laughs> Excellent. I, I guess we blew the it. double the double fake out. If you yeah. click the end, it'll go back to the choice. Ah, oh, okay. Here we go. Okay. How user friendly. This was my solution for keeping your finger on the page, like. You know, you cheat. You don't start reading mm-hmm. the book over again from right. the start. Ever, yeah. Uh, if you Unless there's the... just something really wrong with your brain. So this is us slipping out the, the window with the briefcase that we just stole. 
You fling the stolen briefcase through the nearest window and somersault after it, glass shattering around you. Did you see that shit, Billy? You scream back at the juvenile delinquents you were trying to impress earlier. I told you I was karate as fuck! You linger long enough to make sure the bull-cutted young boy nods, reluctantly (laughs) seating your point. Then you flee, right into the side of the Taj Mahal. You survey the scene and find only madness. You now stand in a barren desert while but a scant few feet to your left stretches a range of alpine mountains. To your right, a busy street, thick with cars and hairy pedestrians. Beside you, uh, behind you, come the shouts of the sinister blue-suited men, now recovered and in pursuit. Before you stands, oh yeah, the Taj Mahal that you just ran into. Don't do that again. If you flee into the mountains, click here. If you flee into the city, click here. What do you think here, Sean, baby? I feel I mean, like I'm, if we uh, go into the mountains, they will be our only enemies. But if we go into the city, we won't be able to distinguish between our true enemies and regular right. pedestrians. And, and effectually, it's all pink worms that we're facing. Uh, and if I think in the mountains, it would be easier to delineate the pink worms from the trees. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the mountains, so I feel a little more comfortable there. I feel like that's my home yeah, turf. Me, me too. Okay, let's do let's do that. Let's save ourselves the trouble. <laughs> to interject, part of like how I wrote these was with the covers of Choose Your Own Adventure novels, which are such a unique kind of crazy because they oh, tried right. to cram like liberal interpretations of every plot point of the book onto like one image, and it made no sense. Like it should just be one tantalizing image, like you're a spy or something. Like, right. but they would always just cram like, okay, here's a cobra, there's a vampire. Uh, here's your mom and she's mad at you. Like every everything that happens in the book. So this is a reference there, so. to the cover had an actual Taj Mahal next to a, an alpine mountain. <laughs> yeah, like they weren't all like I had to, you know, do the own thing to like make it mesh with the story. But I would try to include like an image around each okay. choice and that would sort of decide the way that the next part went. Uh. Anyway, that's a little look behind the process. Well, we're in the mountains. We are in the mountains. You scrabble up the sheer cliffs of the frozen mountains. Though it is a long and arduous journey, you eventually reach its highest peaks, winded, half-frozen, but alive. Alive. Alive! You turn and scream to the onlookers. Weird that there are onlookers atop this frigid peak. No time to worry about that, though, because now those onlookers are growing ant faces. One particularly fat and horrible mant turns to you and chitters something threatening. You screech and stumble, swatting at the phantom helicopters that suddenly swarm the skies above you. They are the size of large birds and all have mother's fa- have your mother's face. You have to get out of here. This place is no good. The mo- the mother copters have found it. No, sorry. <laughs> like it's a for you. Like it's a hipster bar. <laughs> <laughs> like it's uh, once the mother copters find the bar, the fucking place is totally dead. Yeah, <laughs> once they end a trip hop. Yeah, once your mom found Portishead, like that was yeah. it. You turn Scene that is shit dead, off. man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, trying to explain, trying to explain Porta's head to your mom. That's that's almost as bad as the twelve-year-old. <laughs> you masturbate to this, don't you, son? Yeah, I but mean... it's not about that. <laughs> that's not why I brought you here today to listen to it in the living room. <laughs> Swatting at the air and screaming about your mother for reasons you can no longer remember and indeed may have never have existed, you stumble into the city, drawing the suspicious glares of passerby. Help! They're after me. You grab the first man you find by the lapels, only to find his lapels have grown tiny hands and grabbed you right back. What? Get your filthy coat flaps off me, monster! Whoa there, son. Are you all right? Slow down. Who's after you? I... Blue? 
something uh, blue, I think. Blue. Are you on drugs, son? The man with the grabby lapels inquires, his voice gentle with concern. Son. Oh, God. Oh, no. Is this your dad? Is this your dad a filthy jacket hander? Don't judge me, dad. Blue is after me. Blue! Just as you speak their name, there they are. Two great shifting blobs of powder blue. One tall, one short, rapidly closing in on you. To your left is an ancient bomber sitting unattended on a narrow strip of runway. To your right, a car idles, its driver nowhere in sight. If you hijack the plane, click here. If you steal the car, good lord, is that a DeLorean? Dude, steal that car. Do it. Click here. Do it. I think we're being led here. Yeah, sometimes I make I trust Brockway. Yeah, I do too. He's always trying to trick us. He's trying to kill us. Oh, I took the DeLorean. Yeah. You slide into the driver's seat of the DeLorean, taking a moment out of your busy schedule to swing those sweet going doors open and shut a few times and yell some misremembered Back to the Future quote at nearby onlookers. Then you mash the pedal to the floor. Getting jiggy with it! Na 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 na. You holler, almost instantly followed by, I don't know how to drive this car! But you do not crash. Indeed, the car practically steers itself. It takes corners at breath at breakneck speeds, madly accelerating to a velocity that no earthly conveyance should dare. This speed, it is incredible. It is in defiance of physics, of all the laws of nature and man. You feel as if you are about to burst through the thin cosmic scum that separates our universe from the next. Just when you begin to black out, probably from the extreme G-forces and not at all the onset of Calorian B reactor coating poisoning, the car screeches to a sudden halt, towering before you, triumphant, noble, erotic, like the mighty metal erection of some half-buried transformer, is the most beautiful thing you have ever seen, an unguarded space shuttle. If you heed the call of adventure and hijack you a goddamn honest-to-god space shuttle, click here. If for some reason you don't do that, and then this story has lost all respect for you, <laughs> and you, I will only insult you from here on out. Click here. Space shuttle. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm no pussy. Let's do a space shuttle. Yeah. Space shuttle. I'm not gonna listen to some book talk shit at me. <laughs> yeah, you get the you get the theme of the. You can always navigate the adventures as long as you make the the non pussy, but <laughs> but but not smart decision. <laughs> I don't know how to pilot this shuttle. You cry as the G forces hurl you backward into your seat. The focused fury of the boosters roar below you like stolen fire from the sun itself. Through the view screen in front, you can see nothing but the stars. And for the first time in your life, you are content for wanting of nothing. Because you know you're finally on your way to them. Oh. Click here. We don't get a choice. We're just going to the stars. Here we are. Space. Wondrous, awful, silent, vast. An ocean of black envelops you like cold amniotic fluid suspending you in the austere womb of the universe. There are no words. Luckily, you're a poet. I'm all up in space like it's your mom! You shout to nobody in particular. Even though the exclamation was addressed to nobody in particular, you still sense that whoever it is was disappointed in you. No time to dwell on that or indeed any of your mistakes ever because you're just too busy making new ones. Suddenly, your ship is racked by a terrible impact. If you jump on the comms to try to negotiate a peace with your mystery attackers, click here. If you instead obey the golden rule, instantly attack whatever attacks you, click here. Yeah, I mean, Easiest I don't even, I'm choice. not going to ask. Easiest yeah. choice. Yeah. Oh, diplomacy didn't go well. I'm kidding. We didn't choose diplomacy. It's just a little joke <laughs> on my part. You swivel around to peer through the portholes on the starboard side, 
Or wait, is that the star holes on the port board side? What you first took to be the serene blue of Earth's oceans far below soon resolves into two much closer blobs, one short, one tall. They followed you. Those blue bastards followed you all the way into space. Where are the cannons on this thing? You slap at a series of buttons so unresponsive they may as well be painted on. The shuttle rocks from another terrible blow. By God, if you're going, if you're going out, it's at least going to be in somebody's face. You take a deep breath, steal your resolve, and swiftly step out of the airlock before any pesky survival instincts can buzzkill this awesome move. The frozen void consumes you instantly. It chills you to your core. It sucks the very life from your pores, but you still manage to crawl up the side of the shuttle and find the cannon, cannon housing. Before the red tide at the edge of your vision drowns, you you wretch the... Oh, before it drowns you, you wretch the barrel free from its housing, swivel about, and manually, mightily, madly fire it into the blue. They say there is no sound in space, but you swear you can hear the bastard curse your name. No choices here. We're clicking here. Just keep going. We, we're on this path. <laughs> on a roll now. You open your eyes to find yourself in a featureless white room. Before you sits a portly elderly gentleman who probably doesn't like being called portly. <laughs> Let's call him Portly. See what happens. Click here. Let's show some restraint for once. I don't think I'm gonna do no. that. Where? Yeah. Let's so, call him Portly. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't like it. <laughs> All right. We're, we we don't get a choice here. We're just gonna click here. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> is this heaven? You ask the Portly man. He shakes his head. This is the Scandia Family Fun Center, or more specifically, this is the detention room at the Scandia at the Scandia Family Fun Center. I wish I could say I was surprised, you reply, but we both knew that's how this would end. Well, it is the eighth time we've had to detain you, he concedes. Honestly, I don't know how you keep getting in here. We've got pictures up everywhere. Fake mustache, you answer, and then seeing his confusion, you clarify, over the real mustache. I guess that makes as much sense as anything, he sighs. But wait, what did I do wrong? I was minding my own business. Huffing Soviet-era reactor paint with miners, he interjects. If you give an inspiring speech protesting your innocence, uh, click here. If you choose to play dumb, which is really super easy for you, click here. Hey, we have the, the fake mustache. We have the fake mustache on top of the real mustache. That's true. Is That's like uh, a theme of today. Wait, I think it's going to be, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm going to interject one into yours. <laughs> Oh, and I suppose huffing uh, Chloron B with, twe with tweens is a crime now, you scoff. Yes, absolutely. In 38 countries. Just possessing it is considered an act of treason in most, Eastern, most of Eastern Europe. I don't think anybody's even attempted to share it with children before. I think they've had to invent an entirely new form of crime for that. Well, moral crimes aside, you continue, I wasn't doing anything illegal until those sinister men started chasing... Oh, those blue guys were park security, weren't they? Yep. Well, that's all you need to hear. Time to click here and hoof it. If you instead wait around to hear the portly man explain all of your own shenanigans back to you, because it'll be hilarious, click here. What do you want to do here? Should we should we uh, cheese it, or should we? Do we want to hear our own stories, our the stories of a hero repeated back to him? Your first tough choice. See, I feel like Brockway's trying to trap us with our own narcissism. Could be. Could and be. I think we should let him. Okay. Let's uh, let's hear the stories of yore. But what of all my adventures, the exotic locales, my features daring do, you ask? Well, I don't know anything about that. What I do know is that you rampaged through the mini-golf course. Right, the Taj Mahal, you nod. Stole a go-kart, the DeLorean, 
you chuckle, and ramped it into the blaster boat pool. Space, you realize sadly. <laughs> At which time you turn the blaster boat tennis ball cannons on, park security officers, then tried to drown yourself so they would not take you alive. Which reminds me, Family Fun Center park security officers are on in no way authorized to use deadly force. Wait, they're not? Of course not. They're not even licensed security guards. They're mostly just teenagers with cans of Febreze covered in electrical tape to look like mace, you know, from a distance. With the revelation that you're not in any actual trouble here, you take it easy and buddy up to the portly man. Dude just looks like he needs a buddy. Click here. With the revelation that this place is practically unguarded, you see your chance and click here to seize it. I don't want to be friends with this man. Yeah, agreed. He's so lonely. I want to be his king. Then I'm taking this, you declare, snatching the briefcase from his desk and sprinting out the door. That's just my lunch and a paperback, he yells after you. My daughter was bringing it to me. But it's too late. You're already careening out of control, sideswiping a plaster windmill and falling headlong into a Winnie the Pooh-themed birthday cake. Sorry, birthday party. Make way, you yell at the crying children, followed almost immediately by, I don't know how to run these feet. <laughs> the end. The end. Very nice. So we won? You won. We you won. did it. You understood the logic of them. Can I just say, for the record, that was awful and I hated it. <laughs> for real? Why? I, I, I hated sitting here listening to it. Uh, like you know what it might be? To me. The problem might have been, um, I don't know if you were there on the day, but like the delivery may not have been good. Uh, I think the delivery was fine. I think just like when I write things in text, I don't expect them to be read back to me at at, at this point, which is is crazy because I'm trying to learn how to do that now with like screen. I liked a lot of Soren's uh, retakes, like when he, you know, was like, let me do that again. It was always the right decision. And... uh, (laughs) You've got great acting no, chops. See, I thought you, I thought you did great on it. I think I just really didn't expect it. Like, I've, I haven't had somebody sit there and read like an article back to me ever. Well, no, yeah. that's not true. It has happened before, and I've hated it every time. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like. So about there's, pre- there's this, precedent uh, for this. this episode. Is I, I feel like we're all gonna hate it a little bit, especially <laughs> since we're like, since it's all really old and like we're just much different people and probably better writers now. Right, that's just occurring to me is that you set this up to be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> this is like your master plan. <laughs> I just realized it. Very I just wanted to get together with some old friends, get very unhappy, and then uh, call it a day. You, yeah. Make them hate themselves and their past work. <laughs> just bring, them, bring everybody down a peg. You're not so I, 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 It worked. It really worked. I really liked it. I thought... Uh, a lot of great callbacks, even in the path we took. Who knows if they work? If we maybe it maybe it sucks if we pick different choices. But uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. No, I tried to make like nesting jokes that that layer, which is why these things take me so fucking long. Right. Nesting jokes that layer like through the choices. Every once in a while, there will be like an inexplicable one, uh, just because I can't figure out a way to do it. But I want to want to keep the joke, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not man enough to just cut it. <laughs> is that like an but, uh, issue you have because uh i think an art teacher told me that the the most important thing you can do for a piece is like find your favorite part and take it out which is obviously shitty advice but i think there's some truth to part of it that like i think feel like that's the worst interpretation of kill your darlings that yes. i've ever heard yeah but like, uh, that's trying to say you might love a you might love a piece you might love a piece a lot but you should take it out if it doesn't work Yes. 
obviously. But it's not saying, like, find the best part of what you've done and kill it. <laughs> it's somebody that just doesn't understand. <laughs> That's why she's a teacher. Right. Like, you've got a favorite dog, right? you got a favorite pet? Kill it. Yeah. It means well, too much to you. I have a feeling it's such, it's such generic advice that everyone's trying to, like, put their own spin on it, and they just, like, went too far to try to sound more interesting than other people. But yeah, uh, do you, but you have a problem taking stuff out that... Uh, usually not, but every once in a while you see one. Like I, I saw the karate one. There was something in there about karate. I was like, oh, that was from the other choice. I like it. I probably should have gone back through and cut it, but I didn't. I'm I assuming it, it was, was a funny hubris. line. It, st- it stands I'm just alone. Chalk it up to hubris. It stands alone on its own. I like thinking oh, that I also like had this conversation. Well, then I did nothing wrong. <laughs> so that was I, a I reference to him saying how karate he was, and then later calling back to it. I think if you had taken the other band, if you tried to explain, like, let's go back. If you had tried to explain tricking, if you just click the end, it should take you back to the beginning. If you, I guess it was a standalone line. I don't know. Okay. It's, I thought I thought it was in another choice, but uh, I don't pay attention to my own work. I guess. Do you make so many edits that sometimes later you can't remember like what you left in and? Yeah, I think that's what's happening now. Like I make so many edits or I do so many passes that I then think, or or I've moved something and I'm like. I, I don't know my work as well as the people. Like people will come to me, especially with something longer, like a book. People will come to me and, and talk about a section. I'm like, uh, okay, what that was in the book? <laughs> that made the cut. Okay. Or they'll I'll, I'll say something and they're like, that wasn't in the book. Like, ah, oh, fuck. I, I don't know my own book <laughs> as well as you do for reading it because yeah. I have every version of that book in my head. The right. the first time I met Sean Baby, we talked about writing articles. We were commiserated with each other because we were both writing a weekly column at that time. And I I basically learned at that point that he was like the James Joyce of of online comedy, where he would like agonize over a sentence for a day or like longer and just like change it back, change it something <laughs> else, change it back, change it something else, change it back, and forever. And I mean, it shows in the work, obviously, uh, because. It, it's all very, very funny, and it like feels very effortless. But I think for him, it's probably just agonizing and not fun at all. And I'm Sometimes. not totally sure why you were doing it. <laughs> it seemed like it was fun for you. Oh, I, yeah. Nobody likes writing, right? Like this. No, I mean, I can drives us to do this. <laughs> I mean, do you do you like writing, Soren? What's wrong with you? I love it. I love it so much. It's just the words just flow out of me. Yeah, I'm it's just... like a celebration of myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on the refrigerator moving the magnetic poetry around. Just, ah, oh, the whimsy. <laughs> that was another... Uh, I'm a genius. <laughs> that was another <laughs> um, uh, backhanded compliment that my mom once gave me, which was, well, I can tell you had a lot of fun writing it. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh, that's a cruel oh. one. <laughs> wow. So the article I'm going to be reading is uh, one Soren wrote uh, about, it's called Excerpts. From my erotic novel about my co-workers and uh it's got a lot of crack staffers in i'm gonna go to the what link a, what a great choice what a great choice to accentuate the trap <laughs> and uh i'm gonna go to cracked uh to read it so my laptop is gonna kind of overheat our, our audio engineer jamie french will <laughs> probably be able to take the sound out but if if you hear like a, a boat engine behind me that's just because uh, my laptop it's just my data uh, being mined, yes. just trying to handle the new site crack. There's so many pop-ups and things I'm fighting through already. Okay, so this is from November 6, 2012. So that's wow. um, 74 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it was that long ago. <laughs> Dear colleagues, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, 
People do not deserve to have good writing. They are so pleased with the bad. This November, thousands of people will crack the spines on new notebooks or open empty Word docs to write Chapter 1 at the top of a blank page while praying that Emerson was right. As you likely know, November is National Novel Writing Month, Navo-Ramo, in which participants attempt to write 50,000 words of a novel in just 30 days. There is no prize for winning, save for the knowledge that you thought of so many words and in a row, yet Yano Raimo has proven through its explosive popularity <laughs> that we can never underestimate the willingness of people to clumsily pile sentences together even when no one is listening and they have nothing to say. Uh, now, now, Nano Raimo. I'm going to try to get that right because uh, I think it might <laughs> I've have never been. tried to say it out loud. Nano Raimo. Everybody's saying it now. I just, you know. Okay. And with any luck, this year I will be one of those people, me being Soren in this case. I am participating in NaNoWriMo, but I'm aiming for a more tangible prize than a 400 KB document cluttering up my hard drive. I want some goddamn money. I've opted to write a novel in the only genre that guarantees to sell, regardless of quality, hardcore erotic fiction. Really taking him to the mat here. <laughs> oh, you, Just... I don't know if you remember my intros, but uh, I, I would... Uh... I would punish you in my intro and then dare you to keep reading. <laughs> <laughs> Just fuck you, all of literature. Here we go. It is the most unread part of any article. Like, if you're going to put something controversial there, throw it in the intro. No one will read it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely started just becoming meta self-aware with them. And sometimes they would just reference that you're not reading them and like right. insult you for doing that. <laughs> you fool, what are you doing? The article's down there. Start at the numbers. Uh, there's an editorial note here. There's no such thing as a picture of genitals high-fiving. Even if there were, you already know we wouldn't run it. And that's underneath uh, a typewriter ribbon printing sex. So that was the, the clip art they found. The, the classic uh, crack structure of having a little, little Getty images with a cute punchline. Uh, that's when we actually had to stop using just whatever Google. Just people that's started right. suing us and we were like, oh, okay. Yep. I remember those emails where it's like, oh, man, that's going to really change my process. It really changed the process. (laughs) Now I have to look at fucking stock images and think of punchlines. That was the worst. Below, I've provided excerpts, a taste, a kiss of this stylishly subtle romance novel I've been working on the past few days. And I'm hoping as writers, you can offer me some feedback. If you help me now, I assure you that when Naked as Fuck hits the shelves and everyone at your local airport is clamoring for a copy, I will give you one for free. As a disclaimer... All of the characters and circumstances are fictional and born from my spectacular imagination. So it's no use trying to find real-world analogs of any of them. They simply don't exist. Now, light a few candles and settle into the most arousing chair in your home or office. Because you're in for a tender treat. If you are in the bathtub, get out of the bathtub. You know better than to put your computer that close to the water. We talked about how dangerous that is. Use your head for God's sake. Chapter 3 is Don O'Bangin. And the animatronic poke. <laughs> this is a, uh, has a picture of Daniel O'Brien with a very poorly photoshopped mustache on him. Uh, I think I think that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Oh, burn. <laughs> it's not as easy for us. We just got done talking about that. <laughs> it's intentionally poor. It's okay. Yep. I'm the big swinging dick of Photoshop. I know how to do is use a transparency filter on a layer. Uh, I'm looking at the article as well, and it loaded just to dan's eyebrows before freezing <laughs> i think that's james polk behind him uh which is actually oh, okay. good photoshop you did a little blur on it to kind of I put did. him out of focus very nice it looks like it looks like the uh jump like a cat might be jumping at him from what i can see it seems it seems like an attacking cat yeah. 
I have some ads on the side uh, for looks like furniture and gold coins. Not something I buy, so I don't think these are very well targeted. Uh, <laughs> with the last circuit soldered, the heap jolted. Dawn flipped up the face of his welding helmet and stared. What had seconds ago been only a collection of wires and twisted metal convulsed now into something more, something living. An arm flailed, then found its course and righted itself slowly, irrefutably making its way to the being's heart. The skinless jaw fell open as if to breathe. Glory, glory, hallelujah, it sang. Don mouthed the words along with it. I am James K. Polk, it rattled. Eleventh president of the Uni- Shh, whispered Don. I know. I know who you are. I built you. With Monroe, with Pierce, even with Grant, he had been detached. He had fingered their wires and turned their screws with the cold calculations of an engineer. But with Polk it was different. There was love. He had savored the creation. He had birthed Polk like a mother. Don loved presidents, but a single term leader who did exactly what he set out to do in four years had a way of standing out from the pack. You can't rush that, thought Don. You can't rush the really good ones. The being's eyes rolled in its metal head, searching the room, searching for understanding, searching for eyelids. I'll complete your face soon. I just, I had to see you. Don played with a flathead screwdriver as he spoke. This is home. You live here now. The Hall of Presidents. Polk's head fell to one side, his gaze landing on Adams. Or maybe Washington, it was hard to tell. I turned the others off for now to give us some privacy, said Don. I am James K. Polk, it said again. I am Don O'Bangin, said Don O'Bangin, allowing his head, his hand to rest on the cold steel of Polk's animatronic cheek. It gave you life. I am your god. And once I've added the rest of your artificial skin, I'm going to make love to you, slowly. I just... <laughs> Don struggled to find the right words. I just wanted you to know first so it could be special. And then uh, there's a picture of a, a torso, of an android torso with like some of the flesh missing on the abs. And it says, Don will be sure to coat all the important parts first. So it's got titties and a pelvis is what the <laughs> caption is referring to. <laughs> what a good, did you Photoshop that at all? Or was that just no, an inexplicable I, stock? I found it and then the quote came out. The, yeah, the the little excerpt came after it where I was just like, oh, let's, good let's find fucking some I have, We might be the only people in the world who can truly appreciate the good stock image. <laughs> yes. Find. <laughs> just perfect. The being stared, then nodded, just as it was programmed to do. Don had not anticipated how arousing it would be to see Polk like this, unfinished and truly naked in a way that no human could ever be. Best of all, only Don would ever see the president, every president, in such an intimate way. He smiled. And had Polk any lips, he would have too. This is the best job in the world, thought Don. Glory, glory, hallelujah, sang the robot. Our God is marching on. Wow. That is yeah. very Power, erotic. Powerfully erotic. Yeah. So what did, uh, what did Dan think of that? Did he, did he know that might have been a hymn reference? We've never spoken about the are we sure about that? <laughs> are we can you can you be sure that was a dan reference um yeah he and i have never talked about this article once in fact i don't well, think i've talked to any of you about this oh. after i wrote it oh well wow. now you have to yeah and chris you buckles on your podcast chris buckles is fairly mean <laughs> <laughs> i do think next quick question with uh sorna daniel you could ask him hey you know I know you fuck robots, right? Like, that would be a great <laughs> question to hit him with. What, just so I know, uh, which robot would... I mean, which president from the Hall of Presidents would you fuck, and why would it be Polk? 
<laughs> so, Dan, you, we've never talked about this. How erotic did you find the erotic <laughs> fiction I wrote about you? He'd be like, That's something I what? Just, I always love to talk yeah. to people about that. He would know what you're talking about, but he would pretend he didn't. Right. I would give him a scale oh, of that's erections be his and move. be like, just point to one. Like, what? how big of an erection was it? <laughs> so, this is chapter six, Rubber Buckway and the Soul of the Native American Princess Stuck in a Coyote. And then there's a picture, a very handsome gentleman with a, a another poorly photoshopped mustache uh, by a fire. Uh, his face is familiar, but I can't place it. This is the This is the fake mustache over the real mustache. Number two. Yes. That's right. That's the theme of today. Um, it was their sixth night in the canyon, but the first that they needed a fire. Rubber poked at the cinders and estimated that her tribe would be a day and a half behind them and gaining. She stood at the edge of the darkness behind the fire, pulling in sensory information humans have no access to. If only her people could see what was right in front of them. If only they bothered to open their eyes and recognize that this was an unstoppable, inescapable force of love that bound these two together. Well, technically, these three together, if you count that coyote, she was trapped inside. But some people are afraid of the truth. They're not willing to look it in the face, eye to eye, and kiss it on the lips. It will frost in the morning, said Rubber. We will keep each other warm, said the princess, telepathically. Do you want some more mescaline, Robber asked. No, she said in the back of his skull, but I think you should have more. Okay, he Accurate. relented. <laughs> Minutes. Or maybe nights later, the yips started, distant at first, and then closer, just beyond their camp. The princess yipped back, communicating with the wild beasts. She pulled at her makeshift leash. He could see it written in her bristling fur, in her steaming breath. She wanted to be with them. And then there's a, a picture of what looks like a coyote, because maybe, a, a, maybe it's a wolf. And it says, curse you biology, as the caption. These captions don't translate as well into the radio, play, but I still <laughs> want to include them. <laughs> it's part of the trap <laughs> yes it's part of the trap it's part of the discomfort we're making each other feel today uh, how are you doing Soren? like <laughs> are you enjoying hearing your words am i am i i'm just i'm like i'm in another place <laughs> <laughs> all right then i'm go. just disassociated i'm in the other room <laughs> perfect i see so just like that then rubber shouted to keep his voice from quivering after everything i did for you she tugged again, howling now to the shadows beyond the fire. You want to run off and be with them? Fine. Fine. Go ahead, but know that I cared about you. More than anything in the world. I adored you. I adored you. He pulled his knife from its sheath and severed the rope that bound the two together like veins to a heart, like the invisible tendrils of love. You misunderstand, Rubber Buckway, she said, because that was his name. I'm not calling to them because I want to go. I'm calling because they are... Other princesses trapped in the bodies of coyotes, and I want them to know you as the hero I've come to love. As she spoke, true to her word, the other Indian ghosts encroached from the darkness in the form of wild dogs, their teeth bared in reverence for rubber. They think you are the most handsome man they've ever seen, she said. They want to know if you'd be willing to have an orgy with all the princesses. That means have sex with all of them at the same time. <laughs> I know what orgy means. I think it's a good idea. Then, yeah, sure, let's do that, he agreed. He could never say no to her. With everyone in agreement, the dogs rushed at him in a fit of passion, longing just to touch him, to feel him, to absorb him. 
They all pulled in separate directions, ripping at his clothes, kissing at his face with their jaws. As one being, they tumbled around in the dust between sandstone walls, loving one another recklessly violently. He felt the playful bites of the coyotes as they explored his body, eager to have rubber inside them. Tearing at his flesh in a flurry of passion. Be patient, he said, but with his mind, because his throat was being carried off in the frothing mouth of some princess. We have a day and a half at least. Very sexy. It was pure ecstasy. Sorry, I, that, it, very sexy was my interjection. Then I saw there was another line. It was pure ecstasy. It was, um, that got a little fucked up because there was like a banner ad that got generated and then disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always, ah. it's an interactive experience yeah. reading Cracked now. Cracked will, there's no better way to amplify a joke than to hide it behind a banner ad. <laughs> It's a, it's a, they're it. making their own choose your own adventure game. Only now, like you can choose to go to like some terrible Russian site that will, <laughs> that will data mine you. Yeah. Uh, so now there's a colorectal treatment ad and chapter seven, <laughs> crisp, but gold and a long-term girlfriend. Breathless and flushed, crisp shifted to the other side of the bed, searching with his foot for the sock that came off during their moment of fusion. How was that for you? He smiled. What? She said. Chris muted the television. What did you think? I don't know. I feel like Law & Order has sort of gone downhill. Of the sex. Oh, of course. It was good. It was fun. Yeah, I thought so too, he said, thinking so too. I didn't know if you... What are you doing with your foot? I, my sock came off at some point. I really don't like sleeping without it, he said, sexily. Why don't you just put on a new one? Uh, because then I'd have an odd number of socks in my drawer, and when I got to the last one, I'd have to wear... One dirty and one clean sock, and I wouldn't remember which one was the cleanest of all the dirty socks, so I just have to guess. And then uh, there's a picture of socks, and the caption says, and none of them match anyway. Which is, again, a cute little timing uh, when you're reading the article, uh, but <laughs> does not work as a radio play. I apologize, sir. <laughs> they sat in the 930 darkness, just feeling their hearts slow and their bodies cool. He turned to her meaningfully, passionately. She said nothing because she didn't have to. They could just look in one another's eyes and see the long, straight path of love stretched out before them, like an empty highway on a cloudless day. They could see their entire combined future, or at least they would have if she hadn't already fallen asleep. Chris wasn't ready to join her just yet, though. No, not that night. That night he would stay up and read for a while because he started work later than she did the following morning. That one's very erotic. <laughs> and you wait, you thought that one was, was meaner than the one where I try to have sex with like eight coyotes. Where you're on mescaline and you get eaten by coyotes. You thought this one was meaner. <laughs> yeah. Well, you. <laughs> yeah, this one's, this one's the meaner one. <laughs> this one feels the most true. You're at no point going to, to uh, mistake a, a coyote for a Native American princess and then get eaten by a bunch of coyotes, I don't think. But I assume that this happens for Chris regularly. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking... See, I thought this was in response to that story I told on the podcast. Did you uh, do mescaline with some coyotes? Maybe I did, based on uh, what I forgot. Yes, I did. Oh, man. <laughs> Damn it. This has been a Brockway fact. No follow-up questions. <laughs> Maybe I did. Maybe I did that, and then, for, and then to cover my own tracks, forgot. <laughs> It would be crazy if you guessed the story I told on the one the, the cracked podcast with Jack, oh, uh, with with him just just making fun of me. You you would have nailed me to the wall if that is what ha happened. 
What do you, are you up for telling what happened, or is that that's off limits? That's a Brockway fact. Brockway fact. Oh, no follow up. Sorry, question. sorry. <laughs> this still, is still learning the ropes here. Binding. Yeah, these are these are new rules for me too. Uh, the next one. But they are legally binding. They, they're legally binding. This next chapter is called Chapter Nine: Shorn Body and the Avalanche. And there's um. Ooh, I like Shorn Body. Yeah. He's there's a picture of a guy. He's got a, a neon orange mohawk. <clears throat> He's probably like a four out of ten. I mean, he's okay. He's a little fuckable, but like uh, his mustache is falling off, so you can almost see the mysterious man underneath. Its pace quickened. The giants of the forest, those hundred-year-old pines that surrounded the hillside, moaned and flexed under the raw power. Shornbody held his breath and plunged deeper still into the layers that went untouched throughout all those lonely winter months, down in the sensitive darkness of the deep of the depth hoar. The avalanche groaned, pulling him in closer and suffocating with his desire. Wait, am I fucking an avalanche in this? I'll keep going. Hell yes, you <laughs> keep are. Going. Okay, okay. <laughs> and even as he rolled pantsless between the moist pockets and jagged debris like a tongue in a mouth, he knew that this couldn't continue. This is the last time he thought, I'm with Carol now, and I love her. I can't keep fucking avalanches like this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and then there's a picture of a avalanche that says even the really hot ones which again is it lands great on the on the website it um, just becomes a hurdle <laughs> over the over. you're gonna do it every time it becomes an added hurdle <laughs> there is something special about like i make fun of that structure but it is a great way to sort of like just follow up a punchline with sort of a cool down and then like spring back into something else. Like totally. I really like, well, it was also mandated to us. Oh, really? <laughs> like, okay. yeah. If I, I tried to do a few columns that didn't have enough images and they would come back and be like that. Well, they wouldn't even say anything. They just have like one of the contractors put the images in oh, and make I their see. own jokes. Right. And I hate, I hated that so much right. that I had no choice, but to start doing it myself. Yeah. You, which was a, we all had to do our own, our own images. Yeah. Cause you end up reading one of your articles and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sure they did great work, but I still, just because I'm an arrogant maniac, I hated it. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had to, I had to go back in. Fair enough. Anyway. The snow screamed with pleasure over a four lane highway and jesting cars killing people and reaching its climax. Finally, it slowed, releasing its death grip on Shorn Body's ski jacket and collapsing under the tinny sounds of ice crystals falling to rest. It was satisfied. Shorn Body pulled himself to the surface and scanned the devastation. The avalanche had stopped just short of a chalet, and standing outside, the front doors with her arms folded, warm tears forming in her eyes, was Carol. Shorn Body sighed, knowing... That this wasn't the kind of problem he could solve just by throwing sex at it. Sure, our sore bony stepped out from the lodge behind her, laughing as the sun glinted off the hundred and sixty white teeth in his mouth. He wrapped his masculine arms around the midsection of Carol's ski suit. What? Sorry, I've not, I haven't read this before. This is very shocking. His father owned this mountain, and now Bony owned her. He was just waiting for Shorn Body to slip up like this. It was going to be the worst Christmas vacation ever, unless, of course, Sore was up for a little race. A race that could solve everything. This is great. Let me know what you think, XOXO Soren. This, <laughs> yeah, um, just, just perfect. Just a perfect <laughs> ending. Uh, Compelling. I love it. Leaves us wanting more. I felt a little betrayed there at the end, but at least I can win yeah. Carol back at the big ski race. Yeah, you got you got your chance again with Carol, and uh, 
you get your chance to turn your back on the avalanches, even when they seduce you again. I mean, the book's written at this point. There's no turning yeah. back. <laughs> already, already sold the rights. Uh, <laughs> very, very fun. Uh, sorry, uh, I, sorry, I didn't do it justice in some parts. Um, no, no, no. That was a wonderful reading. Um, we're, you know, we're coming into all of these cold, and that was outstanding for a cold reading. That was wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, it's very nice of you to say. And what, and and you say you disassociated. Uh, did you ever, did you ever get brought back in by your own magic words? I got brought back in by the word Indian. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go back too far in time to find out. Oh wow, we just all spoke in hate crime in 2012. Like, yeah, it's amazing see? how fast that changed. How you know, fast you're like, oh wait, wait, are we are we terrible? Oh yes, we we are terrible. Oh, all right. <laughs> I yeah. have I have not read mine for uh, several years. I know that it does use the word rape once, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the con- not in the context of a human, but uh, of an octopus, which I think I w- will soften it. But uh, <laughs> that's another word that like we just would throw that around. Like, wouldn't it be funny if at the end of this joke somebody got raped and you're? It would right. just be like 2007's like crack joke. It was just like nothing. It was just like yeah. Just and then, another uh, one on the didn't pile. Even think about it because that was yeah. that was just how bad we were, and we were very bad. But everybody was very bad, and it was a very bad time. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, I would call like things like that. There'd be like an elk. I like did an article where I was mentioning an elk, and I called it a slut. <laughs> and like looking back, and I'm like, oh, I don't think I should have used that word. Probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's that another. Doesn't word. help the joke. <laughs> I could still. We were not the heroes going against the flow that we thought we would be. I think we have about we, we five years not. left where we could make a slut joke, right? But I think the clock is ticking. I think get them in now, right. and then um, and be sure to the, to know that you'll you will be looking back on them in 2030, being oh my god, did I did I call that elk a slut? Yeah, you'll be hurriedly deleting your articles. <laughs> <your> yes. <laughs> so uh, the last one is an article I wrote. It was about uh, a fighter named Kazuyuki Fujita. Um, I think it. It was a pretty big hit on Cracked. Not not huge number-wise, but I was very proud of it, and, I, and people seemed to like it. Uh, and it was about a fighter who had a very thick skull. And and in fact, in Japan, like sometimes during fight promotions, they would show like x-rays of his skull, like cartoon x-rays, to demonstrate how he has this like genetically strange <laughs> skull. And like that was like his thing. He's also the like... The plot of a Simpsons episode. <laughs> yes. And a lot of people in the comments were like, this is a Simpsons episode. This is how Homer boxes. Uh, but I... I did not copy The Simpsons by um, writing a, a biography of this fighter. Uh, so anyway, that's the setup. <laughs> Re- reality did not copy The Simpsons. <laughs> I also didn't uh, title this. Another thing uh, a lot of people probably know if they were big cracked readers. Oh, yeah. We had sort of a, a, a guy we called Title Guy. And I'm not, you never knew who was responsible, but, but titles were often like uh, SEO'd to, to take what very perfectly described your article and turned into something that was like more clickable, obviously. And, yeah. uh, a I, word casserole was, of, of clickbait. And it did yes. work, to be fair. Yes. That was that was the point, that it worked, and it did work, and that that's all you can Right, say. and that's it was necessary for people to keep their jobs, but it was not good for the art. And this is a great example of a title that is very cute and clickable, but is not how I would describe this article. So, I'll let you start whenever you're ready, Brockway. Let's see how my Japanese does. Kazuyuki Ironhead Fujita made a fighting career out of having a thick skull. This is that skull's story. Like many mixed martial artists, Fujita started as a wrestler. 
Unlike many mixed martial artists, he never learned a second skill. It would take him 60 minutes to describe to you what he thinks a kick is, and he attempts submission holds the same way he tries on hats, confusedly pulling in random directions with no results. That's because his skull is measurably thicker than a normal skull. If you were to take an x-ray of it, you'd fire your medical equipment for coming in to work drunk. He was created by filling a cement truck with coconut sperm, and no one was more surprised than that cement truck. Since he was diagnosed with this head, he has been searching for the man who would one day destroy it. <laughs> I understand many readers don't follow or relate to the sport of mixed martial arts, but those readers are in luck because I speak fluent nerd. Each section will have a nerd's explanation to help everyone enjoy this skull's terrible and ridiculous journey. Was this something you guys, this, were you guys insecure about things like this? Like, I know you both have a lot of interests outside the field of nerding, but did you write an article and be like, the fucking crack readers are not going to know what the fuck I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, but I never stopped. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never listened. I would occasionally I was, check in with Jack. I felt like I was aggressively like, doing okay? it sometimes where I'm like... I wrote several articles about fixing up old cars. <laughs> Can you imagine something that a young man on the internet in like 2010 gives a shit about less? Just, right. I bet. Goes on their comedy website. But you never know. You never know who's that, that's going to hit with. Right? Yeah. And stuff like that, it's good to teach, of course. Um, so I guess I try to do a little of that because I love mixed martial arts, but it's so like meeting a stranger and saying, hey, I like mixed martial arts. It's like 10 years ago, it was absurd to think that they also liked it. You know what I mean? It's just a very rare thing for people to be into. But you predicted the future. It's true. People enjoy it now. If you would have told them that the guy from news radio is the face of mixed martial arts <laughs> and being stupid and hot. <laughs> they might buy the second one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fujita Skull versus Mark Kerr, the birth of FFS. And it's it's a picture of him getting just obliterated in the face with a knee. And it says, FFS, fighting tip number glap. The face is the strongest part of the human body. <laughs> you see? See the images? Yeah, it does not work on a radio play. <laughs> in Fujita's fourth professional fight, he faced 260 veiny pounds of world-class wrestling and emotional issues named Mark Kerr. Using a style of kickboxing based around the tango and signaling rescue planes, Fujita hopped around like a scarecrow in gunfire while Mark Kerr blasted him in the face with punches and knees. Mark Kerr wasn't exactly Bruce Lee himself, but when you bench press 600 pounds, just swinging your paw through the air is going to knock salmon out of the river for every two miles. <laughs> Nerdsplanation. To put the damage Fujita's face took into perspective, Steroid users couldn't measure their dicks for an entire year when Mark Kerr hit a button on a calculator and killed the number two. I'm sure <laughs> you've a seen long a shortened walk. bus. It's like, yeah, okay, that is. okay, here's the setup. <laughs> I got a, a really good joke. You guys got to sit down and wait for it. Hold on. I'll get there. I'll get there. Just chill out. I, do, I don't always have the breath control to get to like the punchline. Yeah. The, These are not the meant to. Deserves. None of this was meant to be read out loud. And I think we're proving that. That's what I was why. saying with mine is like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the joke is how long it goes on. Yes. For for three minutes, everything either fighter did resulted in a hard part of Mark Kerr getting smashed into Fujita's medically impossible head. It looked like an industrial training video on how to turn a human into soup using just one naked man. If I was Fujita's family, I would have already been ordering a box of gorilla-sized diapers and flashcards so he could relearn all our names. But... But this face suicide was all part of Fujita's plan. After five minutes of savage anaerobic assault, Mark Kerr's brain and body agreed that it was time to give up. 
he went fetal and Fujita punched the back of his head for 10 minutes. Which, in back of the head time, is fucking forever. This surprising win led to the invention of the Fujita fight system, which would serve him well through his career. Let's go over the basics. 1. Receive beating until opponent falls asleep. <laughs> 2. Maul opponent's unconscious body. 3. Realize that the celebration banana was a trick and that you've once again been led into a cage for safe transport. <laughs> In your face, Fujita! <laughs> Fujita's skull versus Ken Shamrock helmet laws are for pussy. Uh, FFS fighting tip number harf. Nobody can punch forever. It's an image of somebody punching uh, Fujita attempting to go forever. But and these are Shamrock. really bad images. The 2010, it was so hard to find like good footage of like these obscure... Japanese promotion fights. So uh, yeah, it's always like your best guess at what an image is. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what that is, but honestly, that could be to anybody's yeah. doing anything. It's like a I, 120p like thumbnail I found somewhere. I realize you've you've added the additional hurdle for yourself with this particular article, and that a lot of your articles were very funny in that you would watch something happen uh, in martial arts, and you would know without context. You're like, oh. I think I understand what's going on there. And then your explanation would just make it hilarious and very, very funny. And you don't have that luxury here either. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is the worst idea for a podcast anyone's ever had. But, but you're learning a lot about us and the things we hate. So that's... <laughs> this, this was such a trap that closed on all of us. Like, and now, now you have to look up from the bottom of the pit with the spikes going through you going, huh. What have I done? You know, maybe I miscalculated a little bit. <laughs> Next, Fujita fought Ken Shamrock. Throughout Ken's long MMA career, this is easily the greatest performance he has ever had. He unloaded on Fujita. Every punch and kick of every combination landed exactly on Fujita's chin. I swear Fujita mailed Ken Shamrock a list of every move he was going to do, and Ken got together with Jean-Claude Van Damme to plan the most destructive and beautiful ways to counter them. Jean-Claude Van Damme maybe did a little consulting on Fujita's side too, since the only move that Fujita landed in the entire fight was a crotch <laughs> attack. This showdown continued for six minutes. Ken Shamrock's extensive martial arts training versus a mix-up in Fujita's head DNA. But Shamrock was no match for FFS. Something strange happened. Ken beat this man so hard that he, no bullshit, started having heart palpitations in his corner through and down. <laughs> that's, for, that's really what happened. That's not a joke. <laughs> uh, I, doesn't it suck when reality makes the best punchline? Uh, seriously, Fujita took a beating so severe that the man doing it had a goddamn heart attack. I guess it was a strategy devised by his stand-up coach, Anna Nicole Smith's vagina. <laughs> Well, that was such a good reference. When this yeah, was when it was written, she, you know, people knew who that was <laughs> and what those circumstances were. She hadn't, were. like, begun the long, slow descent right. quite quite yeah. as hard. But she married a mummy, uh, and, like, right. she did it in front of everybody. <laughs> and and she had to go through the motions of, like, no, I love him and his sweet hard cock. And he's just <laughs> like, hey, who said that? Like, a leg falling off. Like, it was a full-on undead creature in a yeah. wheelchair, and she was... Anyway... That's who that is. <laughs> and that's what that joke is. That's what that joke is. <laughs> it was a good joke at the time. It worked. It worked at the time. Just take our word for it. It's also such a <laughs> such a long walk. Like it's like nine concepts to mix together. Like like when you're reading it, 
the reader can like stop and think and like make it all make sense. But just plowing through an article like this, it's just like, what the fuck was that Anna Nicole's vagina thing? What the? <laughs> I I know the frog is desiccated, but please dissect it anyway, class. It's it's really important that you understand what we're looking at here. <laughs> And while doctors were treating Ken Shamrock, the only thing that was heard on Fujita was the team of archaeologists that happened to be exploring his skull's upper mantle at the time. Nerdsplanation. When creating characters in video games, you often have to make sacrifices. For example, your rogue doesn't have enough points to learn mutilate and killing spree. It's the same thing when scientists create igneous-skulled punching bag monsters. If you spring for invincible head, there aren't enough points left over to put into agility. Fujita actually has a negative 65 to dodge, which means cars instinctively swerve into him, and it takes him 10 minutes and a man-shaped hole in the wall to get through a doorway. The nursplanation, I'm realizing now, is actually less helpful for me, uh, because I don't understand any <laughs> D&D references. Yeah. <laughs> You're losing Soren in two directions. No, no, no. The first one, I was like, got it. That's very funny. Yep. This is good. This is good. And then the explanation happens, and I'm like, oh, see, I thought I understood it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I'm not so sure. Nobody's anymore. roped you into a live let's... I believe it's mandatory that you've been roped into at least one sort of charity D&D stream at this point, Sora. No, Never happened? It. Never. Never. Well, that's a problem with you. <laughs> I know. It's, I think people, they just, they know. They're like, he doesn't know how to mm-hmm. play. He's going to ruin it. <laughs> Wrote a game for he's us. He's too cool for this, and he's going to make sure we know it. <laughs> All right. Fujita Skull versus Crow Cop. Fujita Skull takes a jab at the female ejaculation plant. I feel like we're missing some Yeah, some punctuation bullets. got killed yeah. by, by The subtitle the is... I'm assuming the site... Yeah. Uh, like... The site butchered there's it. A, there's a crazy thing that happened where we switched CMSs like three times, mm-hmm. and we asked every time... If there was the budget for somebody to preserve all of the old articles that we wrote, and every time there was not, yeah, yeah, and I would do a lot of so, uh, basic HTML in an article. Like I would align an image to the left, or I would create a little table, or change font colors. And every single time I ever tried anything like that, the next CMS would butcher it, and then the next CMS would just turn it into a fucking visual puzzle. So yeah, and now it's just like reading abstract poetry. Yeah. Just it, if you read it like slam poetry, it's, it still works. Japan has a childlike fascination with strange matchups. If two things are stupidly different, Japan will put them in a cage and see what happens. All their fight cards have at least one match between a giant fat guy and something that looks like it should be making Christmas toys. <laughs> if a man with no arms and a man with no legs started learning karate, the same light bulb would appear over every head in Japan. That's right, glue them together and see if it can kill a panda. <laughs> <laughs> That's a twist. <laughs> See, I build the structure, <laughs> then I kick it out from under you. Fuck you, reader. Patented Sean Baby Twist. <laughs> Through their own experiments, every Japanese parent knows exactly how many rhinoceros beetles you have to put in a baby's crib to make it a fair fight. And I guarantee you that when the first cheeseburger comes to life, Japan will throw it in the ring with a sumo wrestler before it ever gets a chance to lead us to our better lives in the sky. So it's no surprise that fight promoters decided to put him in the ring with Crow Cop. Take the man with the crazy hard head and put him in the ring with the guy who kicks heads crazy hard. The result might surprise you. Partially exploded head. <laughs> in an explosion of blood and duh, Krokop measured Fujita's slow motion takedown attempts and threw a knee into his eyeball just as he was coming in. Fujita didn't even notice. 
It takes so long for light to reach the center of his head that he wouldn't even know one of his eyes was gone for 11 minutes. So all he did was finish the takedown and try to drown Krokop in <laughs> ocular blood. The referee had to inflate a life raft just to paddle over and stop the fight. I would have, at this point, I probably would have cut the last part. It's, it's cute, I don't hate it, but it, like, steps on the better punchline, just as a writer. Yeah, ocular blood was better. Mm. It's not bad. Yeah, like I say. But you also had to say that he had, that's also how you say they stopped Right, the I, I so had some information, like information I had to get in there. Uh, that's probably why I left it in. Nerdsplanation. For a Japanese fight promoter, Fujita's cranium is like a boss monster they're seeing for the first time. They are so compelled and excited to destroy it, but the only thing they can do is hit it with every weapon in their inventory until something works. This was their eureka moment. Holy water bounces off. Ifrit hits for zero. Bubble lead actually heals him. Fuck, look at how much Krokop took off. Did that nurse explanation make sense to you, Soren? Oh my god, any part of it? No, it's so foreign to me. It's like I'm it's like I had a stroke or I'm in a dream and I'm trying to read because I'm reading along too, and I'm like, no, these words make sense. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it gotta make sense. Well, Bubble Lead is actually from Mega Man, which we were just So earlier when Brockway was talking about Mega Man, you didn't know what he was talking about then either, did you? Mega Who? Uh, I, I'm familiar with <laughs> the idea of Mega Man, and I know that he has some really cool right. um, uh, antagonists that are like one has one has scissors right. on his head. Yeah, that's Cut Man. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll throw those scissors just, at you. I, I just looked at the progress bar, motherfucker! You brought me a five thousand word. <laughs> I have to read eight times longer than anybody else. <laughs> this is this is actually physically destroyed. Oh my god, we're on four four of ten, page four of ten. <laughs> You're not even halfway done. <laughs> oh, shit. We're not making any progress this way. If someone would stop interrupting to say, "Here's the decisions I would have made now as a writer versus ten years ago," we'd be fucking done. Like anyone. I was considering slowing down to make it easy on myself, and now I have this Sophie's Choice decision of like, which way, which way am I going? Which part of myself am I going to give up? <laughs> Fujita's skull versus Krokop again. We must destroy that which we love. See, I, I picked up your hidden, hidden semicolon there. I'm trying to decipher this extremely low res image right uh, now. It's Krokop it. has him in a front headlock while Fujita's like on a fetal position on the ground. And Krokop is just bashing his head with knees. <laughs> yeah. Just fucking yeah. his head up. Like as he's hard got, as you can knee someone. He's got his leg all the way back and drives his knee the full length of his own body into his head. Martial artists will never find a way to knee someone harder than this. This is it. This is the maximum a human body can inflict knee damage. <laughs> and it says FFS fighting tip number floop. Fighting isn't always the answer. I like the number fluke. No notes on that. After engineers designed a needle capable of it, they stitched Fujita's skin back together, and he was given a rematch against Krokop. Fujita should win this one, right? I mean, what are the chances that something with almost 100% certainty will happen twice? In what took him 29 seconds, Fujita watched the 18 seconds of the first fight carefully and devised the perfect plan to defeat Krokop. Exactly the same thing. He charged him with takedowns, and Krokop countered by kneeing him in the head. But instead of taking them with the front of his head, he blocked them with the top of his head. <laughs> For crashing knee after crashing knee, 
Crow cops, giraffe legs were screaming for Fujita's spine to become paralyzed, and the fucking thing was too stupid to understand. FFS doesn't work against Crow Cop. Instead of throwing frantic combinations, Crow Cop likes to take his time and throw one big kick that only gets described during a eulogy. You can't tire him out or give him a heart attack by pretending to be his soccer ball. The only thing Fujita's invincibility did for him in this fight was let Crocop's knees manufacture cubic zirconium against his forehead until time ran out. <laughs> Nerdsplanation. Imagine for a moment that Scooter, the gobot that turns into a scooter, fought the Constructicons. If moments into the fight they formed Devastator and stomped on him, you'd be surprised at how simple and unsurprising it was. That's what this fight was like. No one could have predicted that every single obviously obvious thing we expected would happen. <laughs> it's, it's true. Sometimes the thing happens, you're like, whoa, I didn't expect exactly the obvious thing to happen. We expect a sort of a twist. Yeah, you expect something, you know. We're, I'm sorry, GoBots. <laughs> GoBots were like <laughs> a, a Transformer B-team. Yes. I think they might have been first, but they were the one that no one liked. They, they were okay. kind of cheap little toys. So now just, you get I'm, it, right? And I'm the Constructicons, just, they were like little trucks. Yeah. Okay. I think you're just bragging about how big a not nerd you are. No, like what I'm you'd... really impressed by is your ability to straddle both worlds so effortlessly. And I'm like, <laughs> I think I knew it at one point, and I'm just sort of like realizing it again. Like when you fall in love with your significant other all over again, where I'm Aww. like, oh yeah, they are special. Like you, <laughs> you knew everything about everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, that's nice to say. I don't know if that's true, but um, but I do have a lot of um, non-nerd interests that I'm very passionate about. Yeah, and I'm also a hardcore nerd. I would argue. I would argue you are a nerd for them. I think anybody yeah, could be a nerd for anything. That's true. We wouldn't have called and ourselves you're kind that. kind of a nerd for everything. Okay. Yeah, I'd, Star I'd Wars. That. I'm like, I'm I, like, if there could be a nerd for Star <laughs> Wars, I would be that. But you know, you wouldn't call somebody that. <laughs> <laughs> you call him like a, a Star Wars pussy magnet or something. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's something. <laughs> yeah. A Star Wars Lothario. Star Wars tough guy captain. Soren, do you want to tag out with me and do this sure, next entry? Sure, I'll do this one. We'll, 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 we'll alternate. Yeah. Sorry, Fedor. In, in, let me just preface this by saying to Fedor, I'm sorry for mispronouncing your last name. Fujita <laughs> Skull versus Fedor Emelianenko. Emelianenko. I picked, I picked the worst one to trade with. <laughs> Navajny. Navajny. That Fedor. means... Uh, Navajny yeah, is gonna... Russian for fuck it. Fuck it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, the, the fighting tip FFS fighting tip number uh, the FFS fighting tip number for me always remember to never change the plan by this point in his career the world now knows that uh, Kazuyuki Fujita has only two assets a clumsy takedown and a force field where his brain's reflexes should be so pride fighting championships decided he was ready to take on the best fighter in the world Fedor Emelianenko nailed it uh Fight promoters apparently give up on uh, give up on finding someone who could beat the guy, and now they were just using him to conduct further stress tests on Fujita's head. They were sure that Fedor would be the thing to finally crack it open and allow evil scientists to reverse engineer his remains, almost certainly to grow a more durable sex melon and unkillable robots to fuck them. Then Fujita did something that surprised even him. He almost won. He landed a knee-buckling counterpunch that to this day is the closest anyone has come to beating Fedor. In a, thank you so much, Sean, for just using Fedor at, from this point forward. <laughs> <laughs> in a waste of his body's natural punching bag camouflage, he was about to beat someone by hitting them. 
Unfortunately, Fedora found a practical solution to Fujita. Get behind him, grab his unbreakable head, and yank it the, and yank it the fuck off his body. The official fight records call it a rear naked choke, but that's like calling Tiananmen Square a wet t-shirt contest. If the ref hadn't stopped him, Fedora was going to take the head home to his spaceship and polish it. Nerdsplanation. I think the last part was already in nerd. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a nerd. I got yeah. that one. You, did you That's, get that reference, Soren? The, yeah, that was good. From? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a movie called Tiananmen Square. No, I'm <laughs> All right, I'll take the okay. next one. We'll. <clears throat> I want to describe this image. Fujita I had a lot of trouble getting this image because um, when Vanderlei Silva fought Fujita, he like knocked him down and then soccer kicked him in the head, which you're allowed to do in pride fighting. In the UFC, you can't kick someone when they're on the mat, but in pride, they don't give a shit. So he would throw dudes down and kick them in the head. And there's a woman in the crowd, a well-dressed, like, business lady-looking lady, who's just loving it. It's the, She's having the time of her life for, like, a good 10 seconds. She's on the screen just laughing while this dude's getting his fucking head kicked off. And I, I really wanted to capture it. And I, I didn't do a great job. But anyway, that's, what I, that's what the image demonstrates. That's why she exclusively attends pride fights. This is what <laughs> she lives for. Only for the stomping. Fujita Skull versus Wanderlei Silva on the Wings of Hope. FFS fighting tip number yes. No one will help you. Crocop proved that Fujita's head is living tissue over a me metal endoskeleton, and then Fedor proved that it will surrender if you start to sever it from its body. But Japanese fight promoters still hadn't got a chance to see someone just pound on it until it cracked. Will it explode when you expose its core? Is it filled with something that you can... <laughs> that you can grape with an octopus? <laughs> there it was. That's when it hit them. Wanderlei Silva. That guy hates skulls. At the time, the country of Japan was using Wanderlei Silva to control the fighter population, and they occasionally dragged him on a chain through the ocean to hunt whales in the least humane way possible. <laughs> the fight was a massacre. Fujita tried every both of his techniques against Wanderlei. He slowly waited to get punched and then laid on top of him without doing anything. Neither worked. And Wanderlei eventually got to his feet and stalked Fujita like a Japanese octopus in an all-female prison. <laughs> Calling back to it. <laughs> he hit him as hard as you can hit someone many times. And every time Fujita fell down, Silva kicked him in the head as if he was going for a 70-yard field goal. None of this did anything. Half the arena was crying since they thought they were watching one ape administer the death penalty to another. <laughs> and the other half was dead from shockwaves. <laughs> Silva kept punching him down, kicking him, watching him get up, and starting from the top. Someone outside the ring, or probably just a chunk of shrapnel, hit the bell, and the referee declared it a knockout. But Fujita was already back up before the words were out of his mouth. Why'd they stop it? He had Wanderlei right where he wanted him. Nerdsplanation. Science can't explain this. Wanderlei dropped a shock and awe campaign on that head and couldn't hurt it. This fight was stopped only to get everyone's car alarms to shut up. It had nothing to do with Fujita's safety. Fujita was probably back to identifying simple shapes that very same night. <laughs> Good shot like in there. This yeah. was in 2010. Perfect timing. Perfect timing for a shock and awe joke. <laughs> yes. Was that nine years after shock and awe, I guess? <laughs> Uh, I think we were still talking about it, though, because it was after yeah. uh, Bush was out of his presidency that everyone was like, what the fuck happened? And then we all yeah. then we were all using that word. For, uh, we were throwing a, a bandy. It is like 
notable. I'm glad you called it out because it is kind of noticeably lazy writing for me. Like there's a million funny things I could have put there and I just didn't. I'm just like, I'm just going to describe this in a really like conversational lazy way rather than put a punchline. But Right. It doesn't have to be a punchline though. Not every line right, has but, to have four. But points. it's got enough whimsy to it that it should have been a punchline or I should have just like described it more plainly. But the thing is, is that mm. your other lines have six or seven punchlines in them. <laughs> so Fair enough. I feel like you're, you're right, due. The punchline for you're this due. line is, yeah. is in the line I below. earned the rest. You earn a rest. You earn a break. All right. This is Fujita Skull versus James Thompson. Don't call it a comeback. I was kind of never here. FFS fighting tip number hello. Not too fucking bad. <laughs> to describe that, he's looking at James Thompson's uh, crotch. Which is a thing that will get described in the article, but yeah, he's checking him out sexually. Oh, I blew it. Yeah, that's what's happening. And you know what? I think that the ref is getting a little peak too. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, James Thompson is an imposing figure, so imposing that during the stare down, Fujita admired his abs and groin area and gave him an approving thumbs up. It was unprecedentedly inappropriate, <laughs> but there was a science to his this flirting. FFS works a lot better if your opponent comes at you in a completely incoherent homophobic rage, and James Thompson did. Thompson mis- uh, manhandled him, hitting him with hundreds of unanswered punches and knees. He was going to prove he wasn't gay, even if he had to thrust every bit of his vitamin-supplemented shirtless body against Fujita's beast-like hide. It probably smelled like a leather smoothie, but gayer than it's th- that sounds. This is oh boy! <laughs> I wouldn't have written. I wouldn't have written that today, but I will allow it. Yeah, I, I think we got out of it without any hate crimes being committed. But uh, that is that is not the writing of a sensitive individual. <laughs> yeah, the objection has been overruled. <laughs> Nerd explanation. After taking an eight-minute beating that mocked mankind's entire understanding of physics and medicine, Fujina started throwing his own punches. Drunken woman-like punches. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, Sean. Oh, 2010, Sean. (laughs) But when you're James Thompson and you recently spent eight minutes heaving 550 pounds of violent meat around a ring, you'll take any excuse you can get for a nap. By this point at the fight, Fujita uh, Fujita could have screamed boo and knocked him out, but he had to save his voice. He had a screaming date with Lou Ferrigno later. Did, did current day Sean bring this article just to fight with 2010 Sean? I think so. I, I think. <laughs> but this is also like. Did you just bring this it? This is 2010 me on my best behavior. Like most of my articles from 10 years ago, I, I'm just like, oh, this needs a lot of editing before I could show this to anyone. <laughs> it, is a fan, it is a fantastic article and I it's love it so good. much. And like I understand the time that it came from and what you're saying. So like it doesn't bother mm-hmm. me. But it's clear that you, you came into this and you brought this and we're just like. We're all going to get in a fight. I'm going to get in a fight with me. Right I now. honestly had no idea how this podcast was going to go. I, I figured we would actually heckle ourselves more and like be really disappointed in our past writing. But like, I think all the writing is pretty strong. It's just that uh, I brought one where I'm like, here's a, here's a full paragraph of a gay joke. Cause these... <laughs> it's also one of those things like MMA, most, most casual fans sort of made gay jokes about MMA back when it first started. They're right. like, oh, those dudes just end up laying on each other and grabbing each other's dicks. You're like, That was the default. Yeah, just totally yeah. default. So I'm not better than that. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I kind of wanted to, you know, when an idea like that pops into my head, I don't just reject it outright. I'm like, it is kind of a weird thing to go up to a dude and like check out his abs and be like, hey, nice abs, bro, and then fight. I, yeah. There's something about that that crosses the line from like, you know. Right. 
I think he. I think you're right to call it out. It's like a deliberate psychological yeah. warfare. Well, like he was just like, yeah, good job. In any Sweet in dick. any occupation, you're not supposed to talk about the other person's body and make them feel anything about their own body. <laughs> right. Like if right. if I was about to fist fight somebody and he was like. Hey, sweet dick. I would lose that fight. I mean, I would probably lose the fight anyway, but I would definitely lose that fight. Yeah. Or maybe you would be very careful not to lose that fight. You're like, okay, whatever happens, I can't lose this fight. I am actually, I am mentally bookmarking that because that's going to happen. If I ever get in a fight again, I'm, I'm starting it off with, hey, sweet dick. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, Fujita's skull versus Alistair Overeem, the final crusade. Uh, this is an image of... I'm assuming Alistair mm-hmm. Overeem power kneeing the skull directly off of his body, but it does not come off. Such a- and then he's laying, the next panel is he's laying on the ground, gripping his face, screaming, aye! <laughs> and it says, FFS fighting tip number advanced. Oh, and then the caption was, I, I screwed that. The caption was, aye! Never sure how to how hard to emphasize the aye's. I like that you read big. it like very phonetically. Whereas I guess... I I guess I always how do you, how do you give me your I like I was kind of like a the Howie Long scream is kind of how I picture it or the the Wilhelm scream I have always read it in my head as just like the letters yeah I I like that's funny too I, I like it both ways <laughs> Alistair Overeem is a Dutch kickboxer who looks like someone at Marvel Comics drew a man genetically engineered to fuck your girlfriend and at the end of 2009 this giant black Thor beast hit. Ewerton Teixeira with a knee that adjusted the Earth's tides. Police were already taping off Alistair's leg before Ewerton dropped face first onto the canvas with his eyes open. During the replay, you can actually hear the knee call gunshot wounds pussies. That's an, another word we don't use as often as we did back then. Uh, I just used it earlier in this podcast. I, I, that's probably still one <laughs> that's of my true. Yeah, we can't get rid of, we can't scrub all of them. I mean, so, sooner or later, eventually you're the racist grandpa, whether you like it yeah. or not. You just try to be the well-meaning racist grandpa. Japanese fight promoters saw this and had a great idea. Restraints that taste like fish. But right before that, this could be the man to finally shatter Fujita's iron head. They set up the fight for New Year's Eve. The 39-year-old wrestler with an advantageous birth defect versus six and a half feet of death-dealing emasculation. Holy shit, he was 39 doing yeah. this? Yeah, he was a... Wow, I did not I did not picture like me in the ring trying to do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. Leave this old man alone. He just got lost. This wasn't just a battle between genetic perfection and someone born out of head sorcery. It was possibly Japan's last chance to experiment on this skull that had given them so much joy and baffling medical data over the years. Just short of the literal definition, the fight began with Alistair beating the shit out of Fujita. Kazuyuki Fujita has been in a constant state of what you and I would call near death for 10 years, but this is the first time I've ever seen him look scared. After Overeem lands two knees, Fujita backs into the corner and then sheepishly tries sneaking past. Alistair punches him back into the corner and lands a third knee that I swear lights on fucking fire before it impacts. <laughs> Fujita goes down, in parentheses, link no longer functioning. Yeah, I, I Aww, added that today. That's too bad. Well, yeah, I'm assuming the cracked link was no longer yes. functioning. And the caption is, is this, this knee that's about to light on fire with the ref running over saying, It's really you, the chosen one. <laughs> Got a little little camera strapped to his head. He's cute. He looks cute. Oh, is that yeah. what that? Is? Here's the crazy part, though. He doesn't get back up. He stays on the ground, holding his head as baffled as the rest of us. 
I have a theory that the previous 17,000 blows to the head all gave him amnesia, and this one, this one Looney Tunes bonk gave his head all its memories back. Japan finally got what it wanted, only there was no candy surprise inside Fujita. There was no tiny pilot <laughs> demanding to know why you human... <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> there were... <laughs> There was no tiny pilot demanding to know why you humans broke his apeship. <laughs> apeship, you know what that was going to get me. Just a guy with a decade's worth of fist craters and bad decisions catching up to him all at the same time. It'd be almost tragic if you could look away from the slow motion rippling of Alistair's muscles in the instant replay. See, maybe I allowed myself the, the gay joke because I am full on, like, thirsty for Alistair Overeem's dick this whole explanation <laughs> yeah that's a little bit of projection there <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I felt like I was part of the community like hey guys I'm, I'm one of you today I'm, I'm allowed to say the the G word or whatever there was no tiny pilot demanding to know why you humans broke his ape ship god damn it there's always one there's always one that just breaks me and that was it nerdsplanation in the Secret Wars, the Human Torch was being choked by Ultron, a robot completely encased in adamantium. Obviously, fire doesn't do much against any metal from the Coolnanium family. <laughs> cool, cool, Coolnanium family. So Torch went Nova, so he would at least look awesome as he died. However, Ultron stopped. His shell was intact, but the Nova flames melted something important inside him. I think that's what we're dealing with here. Alistair couldn't figure out how to crack Vegeta's skull, so he simply hit it hard enough that everything in it turned to liquid. One would imagine that we're talking about a brain, but remember, this is the same man who fought all those terrifying people with his face alone. Would a brain come up with that plan? <laughs> There's still so much we don't know. I say we go back to the drawing board with the Fujita skull experiments, Japan. I miss them already. Yes. And there is... Oh shit, I can barely make yes. out this comic. It's not my best art for this article. <laughs> it's just too, it's just too small. Yeah, like we had to we had to work in such small resolution. I've lost the ability. All right, I think it's Captain America. Yeah, it's from Secret and Wars. It's, the, it's and Ultron's got Human Torch, and then Torch goes Nova, and Captain America like kind of hilariously hides behind his shield while like Human Torch basically turns into a sun four feet from him, yeah. and then I then I photoshopped in the the knee hitting Vegeta in the head. And then a cut to Human Torch saying, Ah, that's all I had, but must have melted something inside of him. Anyway. And and the picture of Fujita laying on the side, laying on his side, holding his head, saying, The end? <laughs> dot, 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 question mark. He did have a few fights after this. I think he went like, I think he won a couple, but lost many more than he won. But, but this crazy. was, that was pretty much, yeah. An insane career. Yeah. I can't believe he was 30. I was not picturing him being 39 that whole yeah, time. Yeah, he... It's just you should not be medically like allowed to do this. Middle aged, or he would be middle aged for a person not blasted in the head for a living. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's beyond <laughs> retirement. If you get blasted in the head for a living, that's that's the old man. You're yeah. You've earned a rest. And I've always <laughs> it's like been fascinated with him as a fighter because like he his reflexes truly are bad, and and like that's uh watching like because Ken, Ken Shamrock is not a great striker or. Uh, after the, the the dawn of UFC, he did pretty well because nobody knew what they were doing. But as the sport, you know, matured, he did not. And so he, he never really looked good late in his career. But he lit Fujita up. Like, he just fucking everything he threw landed because he was just that much sharper and, like, faster than Fujita. And, and if that's happening, that's really, really bad. So a lot of these guys would just come in and 
I just hit him square in the jaw because uh, I, I think people picture like a fight and like guys trading shots, but almost all of those are like bouncing off of hands and the top of your head. And yeah. these are just like people fucking blasting with full power, full training on the chin. Like it should put him to sleep and it doesn't. It would be terrifying. It would be terrifying to throw your best punch at somebody, hit them and have it connect exactly the way you want it to and watch them just be like, oh, I don't yeah. like that. And then just keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. No, thanks. Let's not do that one again. <laughs> it might, in all fairness, it would be terrifying to be on the other end too and just take a devastating blow and then be sitting there thinking like, why yeah. won't I, why why won't won't I, I die? Why am I still standing up? <laughs> or maybe just 70 more of those and this guy's going to be tired. <laughs> <laughs> the damage this is doing to me must be incredible. This was, a, I think, one of our best and worst shows. I think uh, we learned a lot about ourselves, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, our process, um, our regrets. It, uh, part of it has, has actually physically destroyed me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is a, a, a series. We, won't, we probably won't ever do this again. But I do want to thank but you, you for coming, Soren. But you wouldn't have known it without trying. Yeah, you got to try true. it out. I guess, Soren, uh, you're, you're a perfect guest for this because uh, I think insecurity is something all writers have, but probably something you have less than most, right? As a, as a rugged, muscular man who grew up not a nerd, uh, you're probably walking around with some confidence, some earned confidence, some casual uh, uh, not in writing, I would say. I just hide it pretty well with hiding with oh, writing. <laughs> um, I think every writing's always. Yeah, I think he's just the best liar. <laughs> <laughs> writing's always terrifying, uh, and it never goes the way you want it to either. By the end, like you never, you never hit that period at the end of a, a thing and be like, "Yeah, this is one of my best pieces." Like right. you will, you're you always write, and you're like, by the time you turn it in, you're just like, <sighs> "Good enough." It's It'll have to do. <laughs> Which it's uh, funny you say that because uh, say... I do like how this article turned out. But um, when I was when I just finished the first draft, I was almost gonna. Uh, I emailed Jack because I was like, I kind of want to just push my column this week because I don't like it. I just didn't even want to print it, and I was going to yeah. start from scratch with something else. But Jack like really liked it. He's like, no, 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 this is this is great. He was excited. Oh, I've done that to yeah. him too. And he's like, no, no, we're publishing right. it. Like I finish every article and I say to myself. Fuck, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Here we go. Just push push send or I'm never going to stop. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the process is always bad. It's never fun. It's, it's always uh, awful. You second guess yourself at every turn. And then there'll be that point. There's one very specific point when you're writing comedy where you're like, none of this is funny. I'm a fraud. This is terrible. This, <laughs> everyone's going to know because of this one. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I got to I got to relive that point live here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. It's a podcast canal. Und mit maximalen Schall. Doc Frankfurt podcast. Correct. Yeah. Ich brauch dies nicht, brauch dies nicht ohne. Schick dich in die Hundezone für eine Stunde. Komm schon, du kennst die Nummer. This Dogs 9000 was brought to you by Benjamin Siran and Dr. Awkward, Yosarian, Josh S., 
Zachary Evans, Adrian Hisbrook, Aiden Moat, Brianne Whitney, Josh Fabian, Armando Nava, Lyman, Toastigov, Neil Schaefer, Jaber Al Aiden, David Forna, Mike Stiles, Eric Spaulding, the artist formerly known as Devin, Hawk, Neil Bailey, Micah Phillips, Polly Poisuo, John McCammon, Nick H, Matt Riley, Rhea, Rich Joslin, Ken Paisley, Timmy Lady, Dean Costello, Three Finger Louie, Nick Ralston, Zadarfan, Jamie Gordon, John, Jeremy Neal, Michael Rader, Alpha Scientist Javo, and Children Love the Meat Millie.